Welcome to OOO, an out of ordinary podcast where we dig deep into case studies and the nitty gritty of Web3 marketing. You'll find here all the amazing people that are building Web3. So stick to us as we address their marketing secrets and learn how to build amazing products and brands. Hello everyone, I'm Alex, your fellow Web3 marketer and the host on Out of Ordinary Podcast. This is episode 39. You keep asking me where is the best place to start investing. Well, maybe I actually found the place for you. But first, let me introduce you to my guest. Sean Tepper is the founder and CEO of Ticker, a stock screener and educational platform all-in-one that helps you manage your own investments. He originally created Ticker in 2016 as a tool to save time when investing in the stock market. After four years, he made consistent returns ranging between 15 and 50% per year. In 2019, he started sharing this tool with retail, as well as institutional investors, and everybody agreed he needs to turn this into a platform to share with others. Ticker went live in 2020, and now it's a platform serving investors from countries all over the globe. Stay with us till the end as we get to talk about investing, business growth, startup lessons, and more. Hi, Sean. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for the invite. Thank you for being uh, here with me today. This is uh, this is super exciting because I think like every week I have like a super different uh, speaker. So I'm very happy that um, I'm finally having the chance to to speak with you. Um, just to kick it off, like, would you like to introduce yourself, tell our audience like uh, a bit of your background? Uh, you're also a podcaster. You're a business founder. So tell us a bit more about that. Sure. So I've been in the tech and finance space for about 16 years or so. I actually um, graduated from school in 2006, worked for an agency. Uh, My background, so you know, is I originally went to school for architecture, uh, found out I was not in the top 10%, which meant I wasn't going to find a job, they said. So I switched to fine arts, which would allow me to get into like the movie industry. Um, that was my, always been my passion has been movies. So I was into like cinematography and uh, screenplay writing, never went to LA or New York. So I went into the ad agency world, worked for an agency for a year, kind of figured out, Hey, I can do this type of business. Cause I always wanted to create my own business and, um, started a business in 2006 or seven focused on like web, like software engineering. We did some video work as well. And did that for four years, made like no money because it was like the recession. Um, We were able to grow, but it was kind of at my own expense, like brought on more employees to serve more uh, customers. Um, But then in our last year, 2010, we went through a merger and I was like, yep, I went out. I went out of this business. It was super hard. It was a lot of work, 60 hour plus weeks. And the merger wasn't like, hey, here's a big check right off to the sunset. It was none of that. It was your debts and liabilities in the business are wiped clean. So it was pretty much a fresh start. And at that point, after working those four years, we worked with a lot of um, small and mid-sized businesses. Um, so think like restaurants, um, automotive repair shops, um, uh, really any kind of small business can think of, but I got to work with like some SaaS businesses and even e-commerce. And I'm like, I want to do a SaaS business, but I didn't have any great ideas. So after the merger, I decided let's just go work for large corporations to really learn how they work. Um, and that again, 2010 or 11. And at that same time, as I really got into investing, I started with more angel investing, which means investing in like new tech startups that are not publicly traded businesses or stocks. 
um, I thought it was like, Hey, I'm a smart guy. I went through a merger. Well, no, that was not the case. Um, so in parallel to working with large corporates like GE, um, another company's direct supply, another one is, uh, uh Kohler, um, all good companies, um, learned a ton. So I'm very thankful for that experience, but I never wanted to work in corporate, corporate America. But anyway, in my investing journey with angel investing, I had, some success and some failures, but it's pretty much break even after five years. And I'm like, I could be at this for the next 30 years and not make any progress. So it was around 2015. I said, okay, let's start taking this serious and go to the stock market. And that's when I looked at Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, a few other investors. And I found a guy by the name of Phil Town. He wrote a few good books. One is rule one and another one is called payback time and figured out that Hey, this stuff is pretty easy, and he even provided some of the math that's located in those uh, in the books. And I started putting it into Excel, started using this Excel sheet, and my returns are were about fifteen to fifty percent per year in the market over the course of about four years. So that brings us to 2019. And it was at that moment I thought, maybe I have something here. So I started sharing this Excel sheet with other investors, even some large institutions and saying, hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of the results, what it does? And everybody's like, you need to turn this into a software. So it's like 10 years later, I got my SaaS idea. And we, I started the, the MVP build. That was uh, 2019. We went live in 2020. And then after three years, now it's just a little over three years, we have a little over uh, 8,500 customers in about 50 countries. And the model ticker is the business. It's a screener and educational platform. So essentially, what does that mean? If you were looking to invest in the stock market, we are the best place to start. You can join, you can find out whatever stocks are set out there in YouTube or Reddit or Twitter or whatever, you can find out, are they a good stock you should invest in or they are something that you should avoid? And then it teaches you everything like, how do you get started? How do you buy your first stock? When do you know when to buy? When do you know when to sell? Like all the basics. And we kind of put that all into one basic platform. So that's what it does. Uh, it's. I think it's quite encouraging. Your story is quite encouraging for like a lot of people that are um, that are struggling. Let's say to to find that that idea that's gonna get them out of the the corporate world. So um, um, I want to congratulate you for that. And I was also pretty impressed uh, with your story the first time I heard it. Um, now, for those of you, um, those that don't know uh, you. Um, can you tell us, like you told us a bit about like what Ticker does, but like who is it for, who can it use it? Um, and also I wanted to ask like, why did you start your, your podcast, Payback Time, um, and what's your goal with it? Sure. So touching on why with Ticker, I, with that Excel sheet, it would take me like between five and 10 minutes to analyze one stock. But I would get like a definitive decision, like, yes, certainty on I should buy this stock and it will make me money or certainty this will lose me money. And I'm like, this is super time consuming. I would like take like a half hour to an hour a day and just get a handful. And part of me was like, I need to turn this into a software to save myself time. And so what what I did is when I went live, I found out that the majority of the people out there are actually complete beginners, about 80% of our audience are, and this relates to everybody, like their friend just bought a stock, 
on Robin. Robinhood is popular here in the States. I use TD Ameritrade um, or somebody said something on YouTube or something sent something on Reddit, but nobody knows what to do thereafter. So we really serve the beginner and a lot of people want to manage their own investments. And the keyword we really drill into is confidence. People, sure, they want to make some money in the market. They want to build wealth. That's all cute. But the main thing is people just want the confidence to do this on their own. So 20, or I should say 80% of our audience are complete beginners. 20% are more advanced. They know about stocks, investing. They probably use other platforms. They use Ticker because it really saves a lot more time. Um, so that's really our audience. And the range is like we have 18-year-olds on up to like 55-year-olds, even people well into their 60s that are like, I don't really want to keep all my money with a financial advisor. I can do, I know I can do this on my own. I'm not stupid. I can do this, but what tool do I use? Well, that's, that's where ticker really helps them. So our age range is wide. Um, we're probably about 60% male, 40% female. Um, and again, we're in about 50 countries. And why did you start your podcast? Yeah. Podcast question. So started the podcast at the same time. I've been listening to podcasts for like gosh, close to 10 years. And I always told myself, I know I can do this. And the reason is there's multiple reasons. Number one, it's a great networking tool. I'm able to connect with other people in tech, other people who are building businesses and kind of um, get to know them, ask questions about who they know. And it's just, that's how you really build business. You, you are not going to build businesses sitting in your basement or wherever you're sitting. You have to be out talking to people and fortunately, these days, you don't have to be shaking hands in person. You can use Zoom. I'm on Zoom calls like every day. Um, so that's why podcasting is great for that. It's also a great marketing tool to promote your business because every every episode we have, we have a short commercial that advertises tickers. So we get people that listen to podcasts and they're like, oh, what's this ticker thing? And you can go join it for free. And so we get leads that way. Um and it's, it's a, also a third reason is you can really learn a lot in a short amount of time. I get people on with payback time that, and that podcast is more than stock investing. It's all about building businesses and increasing wealth, maybe driving towards financial independence. So I get a lot of people who are entrepreneurs, um, real, real estate investors are on there. Um, I actually, I had a good one on a guy who, uh, invests in laundromats and how to create passive income with laundromats. It was so much fun. It's not live as of the recording of this video, but it's coming soon. <laughs> um, but like all these different people and how are they making money, especially passive income? And I learned so much by talking to them. So there, there's so many benefits of the podcast and I, I'll stop here. But if anybody is thinking about starting a business, start a podcast at the same time, because it is the best marketing tool. I honestly think the same. I think I've learned so much like ever since I've been podcasting because otherwise I think it's so hard to just dig into the bottom of the internet and like keep track oh, yeah. of all this information there, um, especially in Web3. I think like Web2 normally has it's a bit more organized where people have blogs, people have like a lot more traditional channels, let's say, like put together. Um, whereas in Web3, it's, it's an absolute chaos. But I think like this podcast is keeping me kind of, um, I don't know if it's the correct word, like on a, on a leash with like all the, all the good stuff out there. So, um, and also like uh, when it comes to like building relationships with people, I think it's amazing. That's it. Yeah. And you know that. 
Um, what is um, something about financial freedom that you think has shifted in the last uh, for the last generations, especially because you mentioned that you have people that are 60s plus, people who are like 18, um, including millennials, because um, and I and I feel like a lot of us right now want to make it the golden life. Let's say. So I will um, debunk the myth right now. True financial freedom is very rare. Like if you want to be in a position where you can go go to the Bahamas and you don't have to work at all, I've interviewed over three years, I've interviewed over 200 people and none of them have absolute financial freedom unless there is one person that sold the business and decided, hey, they just want to retire in their 20s, I think, and um, just hang out with their wife and kids. And that's fine. But everybody else I know that that has sold a business, which is very rare as well, they they get the itch to do something else. It's like they'll take some time off, like a month or two, and they're like, I can't sit around. It, like the human brain is like innately driven to do things, serve others, provide value. Like we, we want to build things. That's what, the way we're built. So I found, get this, one of the easiest ways to do it is, from a business model standpoint, is an agency. Because you get to, you're, it's still a service business, but you're working on your own. But you have to like figure out what is really a big pain point right now that a lot of businesses face and, and do that. And then try to optimize it by using contractors, like single person agencies. I'm not kidding you how many people I've talked to. It's the way to go. You can make some decent money. You control your schedule. Um, you want to structure your business model so it's not project-based. It's a monthly reoccurring. So you're providing some service examples would be like, maybe you do Facebook ads for small and mid-sized businesses. Maybe you do podcast editing. It's the most non-glamorous part of having a podcast is the editing and then the promotion. You can do that for small businesses. Maybe it's Google ads. Maybe it's um, YouTube production. But get them set up on a reoccurring plan. And seriously, you can get out of a corporate job. Um you can really enjoy some freedom because I know people that do this will be like, well, I'm going to take off and go live in this country or do that. Cause you can do it. You can do these types of jobs from a laptop. Wi-Fi is pretty much everywhere. <laughs> so that was one aha moment I had. Cause prior to that, or even 10 years ago, I was like, yeah, it's easy. You just build and sell a business. It's like, no, that's, <laughs> that's not, that's not the easy path. It's seriously a small service business is good. Real estate is, it takes a while, believe it or not. Um, a, a lot of businesses, it there's, yes, there can be some residual reoccurring cash flow, but most still require your time to a degree, but it's still the alternative. It's still better than working some corporate job that'll work you to death 50, 60, 70, 80 hours or more. I think this is actually the definition that at least I have in mind when it comes to financial freedom. It's not necessarily that like I never want to work again or that, mm-hmm. um, yes, I think it's a, would be a situation in which like you don't have to worry about money anymore and you're like, okay, if you lose your job or like if you're okay, if, uh, you lose a client this month or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's definitely not about like you never doing anything right. ever again in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So you essentially, you, you controlling your schedule. I know we're talking about this before you hit record. Like you like to go to the gym a little later in the day. Like, let's say you decide to push that back two hours. You can do that. You can structure your day how you want. You control your day. And that freedom is, 
that's huge. That's a huge win. For sure. Um, so I want to ask you a couple of questions regarding your podcast, because like I found two of the episodes that kind of drew my attention. Of course, sure. there were like a lot of them, but like we can't really fill them all um, in this episode. So I only chose two. And um, one that drew my attention was about earning 80% per year with crypto because we are on um, a web marketing podcast. So I thought I should like bring you the, the, the discussion mm-hmm. a bit around that. Um, what are some lessons you can share from this episode when it comes to web, web two companies investing in web three? And here I'm not talking about like them going, going full on uh, crypto or like launching a token or like tokenizing assets or anything like that, but just investing some of their profits into crypto because I've heard even people here locally that are encouraging companies to do that um, as a way to maybe grow their revenue. So I wanted to to see like what you've learned from this episode and what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so the summarize what was happening with this individual that was investing in crypto, um, 80%, but it's not consistently year over year because one year it could be 300 and next year it could be negative, you know, uh, 200. Um, so it's a wild ride, that's with crypto. So really the lesson learned here is if somebody's investing in crypto, um, go into the blue chip coins. Don't go into like the small ones like Shiba coin or Doja coin or anything like that. So there's going to be emotions. The reason is if you go into the big ones, you have institutions that are also in them and institutions kind of like the stock market. It's the large financial institutions that move uh, stocks and crypto up and down. So you want to be where they're at because it's going to be more consistent at the same time. Um, like I said, with those returns, yes, 300 one year, negative 200, you got to be in it for the long haul. You can't be where people mostly use money in the stock market and with crypto is in the buying and the selling, trying to enter and trying to exit. That's where you lose money. You have to enter and then commit for the long term. So that's why what we do is when people join tickers, we, we educate them and say, if you do invest in crypto, go 5% or less of your net worth, no more. Um, and there's other financial institutions that say the same thing. So his, his strategy was actually very simple. Invest in blue chip crypto, I think it was in Bitcoin, and just commit for the long term, ride it up to $60,000, but prepared the next day for it to go back down to 20. <laughs> it's just, that's the nature of crypto. But I mean, I think this is the nature of investing, right? It's not like, it's not, it's not always going to be going to go up. Like sometimes it's going to go down, sometimes it's going to go up, but like on average, if you're, if you're not losing money, that's, better than nothing i guess Crip, um stocks is a different game you're you're right there you have to be in it for the long term one of my favorite case studies is a gentleman by the name of ronald reed he was a janitor that built up a portfolio of eight million dollars the question is how does somebody who's making close to minimum wage become a multimillionaire. Well, the solution is not investing in penny stocks or these speculative stocks that get you that can, sure, maybe they can take off, but in most cases you lose money. It was the process of buying and then buying more. And he had the discipline to keep buying stocks every paycheck, no matter if his paycheck was small. It was that discipline. He didn't skip months. That's an issue people run into is they'll they'll invest one month and they'll wait two, they'll wait three, they'll wait four, and then invest again. You can't do that. You have to be every paycheck. And he was an invest. He was investing in, I think, Johnson & Johnson, um, uh, CVS Health, 
uh, I think GE, uh, really boring businesses, but businesses, and this is something we teach our audience. These are businesses with multiple revenue streams. So if one stream goes away, the business is still propped up. So there's safety there, but he did that. And it's like, you have to be consistent. So stocks is a lot easier too, because, um, stocks have an income statement, cash flow statement, and balance sheet. That's how we determine the score of stocks with ticker as with crypto, you you have to be prepared to ride the roller coaster up and down, but at the same time, you can't calculate where it's going because coins don't have, like Bitcoin, for example, does not have an income statement, cash flow statement, or balance sheet. So that's that's one nice advantage with stocks is you, you have more control, you have more certainty, and you can control your emotions a little more. So there are, you're right, for the long term, you got to be prepared to ride the waves. But it, it in summary, I will tell you this. I don't invest in crypto. I did at one point. Um, I made a little bit of money, not a lot. And I'm like, nope, <laughs> I'm going to stick to what's <laughs> tried and true. A lot safer. Stocks are stocks are the way to go. Makes sense. Yeah. I've also noticed you you spoke with, with VCs. Um, what are some key things that you're looking at when it comes to what they are looking at when it comes to companies they're investing in? Um, and anything marketing related, numbers that they're looking at or um, anything that yeah. they found they find to be super important. Sure. So I know I'll kind of tie back to your theme of the podcast, Web 3.0. And what jumps out to me most when I think of Web 3.0 is is crypto, blockchain, and AI. So for a while, AI was like all the rage, like OpenAI, ChatGPT. And there were venture capitalists that were showing showing more interest into tech startups that we're really leaning into AI. Well, that has kind of shifted here as we kind of are hitting the end of 2023. Um, They're like, okay, that was cute for a moment, but it really comes down to the numbers. And I will say this, it's only about, I think it's about one to 2% of startups out there will actually get venture capital. That is the statistic. So if anybody's, anybody's starting a business, don't immediately start the business and then go raise capital. What you want to do is uh, bootstrap it, keep your day job, and and then go out serve some customers. You might have to serve some customers for free first for a limited time to get some testimonials, but that's how you get the ball rolling. And then you want to show revenue. And then when you can show some revenue, that's when you can show the data, like conversion rates. Um, if you're a SaaS business like me, you want to show what's your conversion rate, what's your churn, that's a big one, and then go to VCs and just prepare yourself. You're going to get a lot of no's. But I'll tell you this, a lot of VCs right now, that I talk to, they like to see a million in revenue or more per year. They want certainty that what they invest in is going to make them money. So, um, like for example, ticker at this given moment, we're not making a million a year. So we got a ton of no's. It's like, you're, you're getting there, but you gotta be, it's like this common number. They want that absolute certainty. So just to set expectations with people. Well, can I ask like, why are you raising money? You want to grow? growth or we're we're not we're not actually going for vcs i found that because raising money and talking to vcs it is extremely time consuming and with ticker it's like do i want to spend my time doing that or do i want to spend my time actually bringing in customers so for example where we bring in our customers the most it's really through channel partners so other um uh, fintechs, uh, YouTube, YouTubers and bloggers. Um, and then I do a lot of YouTube content. We get a lot of leads that way. And then the podcast. So it's like, it's like channel partners, YouTube, 
podcast and that's it my team it's rinse and repeat you want to you don't want to like this is a big lesson learned too for tech startup founders don't try to be everywhere don't try a thousand different lead gen streams you want to find out what works and just double down so i'm like we're doing that what this is what works we're going to do this and then maybe we'll raise funds but like now i spend like zero time on fundraising uh, it makes sense. Like now, now that you're you're talking about it, um, something else I wanted to ask you was regarding like tokenize the, the tokenization of assets, and mm-hmm. I wanted to ask like, uh, why do you think tokenized assets are a good idea in Web three? I also I also know like you've talked about it on your podcast as well. I I will say this: I've had some of my guests talk about tokenized assets and why why they think it's good. My personal opinion, and I will say this. I am not a big, I don't see it as viable for the long term. Like if somebody wants to tokenize, like, let's say a a piece of art or something they created, I think that's, that's neat. But to me, it, it, for a long-term play, I'm always looking at businesses. Like how does a business, um, continuously, like I look at a really boring business, like Johnson and Johnson going back there, like people need, you know, paper towelowing and cleaning supplies, and things around the house. You and I both have cats. <laughs> so it's like vacuum cleaners are needed. Like, so I'm looking at business, like what is something that you continuously use every day and would probably cause some pain if you did not use it. Whereas with tokenized assets, I think it's, it's nice, but like if you didn't tokenize something, would you feel the pain? Probably not. I would, I'll tell you this. And I think most people agree. If you cut off my my iPhone cellular, I use Verizon here in the States. If that were cut off, I would be pounding on the door of Verizon. I want my plan turned back on so I can text my friends and talk to people. Like seriously, you know, you think of what is what causes pain in our life and how do you remove this? So that's where my mindset goes. So NFTs, I know some people talked about it because I like learning about it, but I'm like, I don't I don't think it's viable to make money. Mm. Um, let's talk about community as, uh, you have a pretty strong one from what I understood from you with over AK users, um, uh, use OAK users using your product. I feel like I'm learning a lot today. I don't know what's up with me because it's Friday. Um, what are some community building strategies that you've used to grow it and how are you nurturing, um, them? Yes. So when people join ticker, you get a new email every day for about 20 to 25 days, something like that. And it's a new tip. It's like, Hey, when do I buy? When do I sell? Like, how do I invest my first thousand? And right away, the first email invites them to join our Facebook group. And on that group, we invite people to like, there are, there are no dumb questions. Just set the tone up front. Like if you got a question about a certain stock, or um, how to buy a stock or what, another common question is like, what broker should I use? Cause we've got customers all over the globe and they'll ask, well, I don't have TD Ameritrade in my country. I don't have Robinhood. Like what should I use? Well, our community is quick to be on that. Like, Oh, I'm located in your same country and I use this broker. So it's kind of that theme, but it's, um, it's kind of, I will say this, it's the onboarding sequence emails, getting people into the community is good, but nurturing it, I have to admit that's still a work in progress for us is how do we get discussions going? I find that 
uh, polls and surveys are good, asking people what they're investing in. I think that works. Um, but I think getting them in, that's the easy part is, is you, cause people are excited when they join something. So that's the opportune time to get them in. But then nurturing is, um, to be honest with you, I could probably learn a thing or two. <laughs> Um, I've actually been thinking about it for, for a while because like I've, I've been seeing it in different places and I do think it works totally different for, for different audiences and different communities. Personally, I'm really, really big on getting an immediate, um, return of my investment investment, meaning time. Like if I'm investing my time into that community, I want to see like how I can get something back. Um, Maybe they can help me like promote my podcast. Maybe I get an accountability buddy. Maybe I found somebody in my region to do, I don't know what. Maybe I ask somebody like if they know somebody from, I don't know which company and I get an answer. So it's like these small things that like keeps me want to stay engaged. And then something else I really, like I've been thinking a lot lately. Um, I think it's about like getting this like one-to-one interaction. Something that like Shifai, for example, does quite well is with intro.ai, if I'm not mistaken. And every week I get an email saying like, hey, do you want to like be connected with somebody from the community? And then like based on like um, our profiles and our keywords, they match me with somebody from the community. And I think this is actually quite fun. And one of the funniest things was that I went to this event in, uh, um, in, at ETC in Paris this this July. And the first person that I met there, like at the door, she was like, hi, we actually met on zoom, um, like through, through intros. And I'm like, don't remember, but hi. <laughs> and then I walk like 10 more meters and then I find somebody else. She's like, do you remember me? I'm like, no. <laughs> now if you're telling me who you are, I remember, but like I didn't remember the face. So it was such a nice thing that like I didn't feel alone. And then like there are all these people that recognize me and I'm like, yeah, yeah. Now I feel like I'm a bit, a bit more part of this, let's say. Mm-hmm. On the community thing. I actually talked to her because I try to ask a lot of questions to our audience. We try to do surveys almost every week. Like we've got a newsletter and a while back I asked about the Facebook group community. How do we make it better? How do we make it more engaging? And there wasn't a lot of response there, but talking to a few customers are talking about what about a community feature built into the tool? Because if you're in the tool where the stocks are happening, wherever, like the crypto, we've got ETFs, all that fun stuff. But then you have to jump to Facebook to talk about it. It's this weird disconnect. Mm. And so they're like, what if, and and one particular customer pointed out, there's another platform that's kind of like ours that has like a Discord-like community built into their site. And he's like, and I joined the community just to see what kind of things they're talking about, like stocks, what's going on in the markets what's hot with crypto. There's even like a community area for like talking about movies. I'm a total movie nerd. So I'm like, I want to hang out here. This is cool. So we're adding that to ticker, the same discord like feel. So once you log into ticker, it's like, you can see what people are talking about. So that that's coming soon here, hopefully in the next three months. Yeah, I think that like a lot of ideas that can come up, especially like as I said, like it really depends on the type of community. But I, but I'm really happy that you you mentioned that you you're taking you're doing these interviews with your customers and you're asking them like, mm-hmm. what do they want? Uh, because I know this is something that a lot of 
startup owners and marketers are, are, are struggling quite a lot with. Um, can you maybe walk us through this process? How does it look like for you? What are some important lessons that you've learned? Um, how can anybody replicate it? Um, do you have a system in, in place sure. that you, you can share something about? So to take a step back, um, through my uh, past life of working for large corporates, I, I did a lot of project management, some product ownership. And I found that the best way to really build products that are sticky, that are used, that are monetized, is you can't create them. You have to put that on your customer, which means you have to be asking the right questions. Um, and, and a book that really helps with that is called The Mom Test. If you've ever read it, I highly recommend. But it, it, right, and don't ask questions like, do you like this product? No. Um, you can ask questions such as what don't you like, like you want all the negatives. You want them to like kind of use some crude language here, but you want them to kind of punch you in the face. Like, tell me what you don't like about my products and then tell me what other products do you use and why? Like, why do you open that? Why do you open that app every day? Why are you, you're waiting for an Uber, you're waiting for the bus or, um, you're waiting for a, an appointment. Like you're on your phone playing with something. What app are you using and why are you using it? And it's those questions that you have to take and then uh, put into your product because if you want your product, you want people coming back, you have to do what's logical. So that's that's one thing I learned years ago and the mom test really helped kind of refine that. Um, but yeah, I tried to, like with Ticker to give you context, the first six months, we didn't get any paying customers. <laughs> and I kind of expected that because I've been there, done that. Is they're going to launch this? It's kind of going to be crickets. So you have to talk to people. You have to give free access to your tool. Use this tool. Tell me what you don't like. Um, and then again, tell me what you do on other platforms. And every, it's not every day, but a few times a week, I would be on Zoom calls. Okay, let's talk through this. And you got to write down everything. And then you can do surveys. But I tell you what, like Zoom calls work best before zoom was really hot you go back like 10 years you had to do everything over the phone or in person so now it's just it's much more efficient so yeah i find customer feedback is so critical and it's got to be ongoing you can't like hit a milestone and be like oh i'm good like no like software evolves so you have to continuously find out what's wrong what's not working why aren't you using you know list goes on yeah, it's a like I I know for I know the theory, let's say, because like I've done it before, but I think um even for me right now, like it's I'm I'm struggling quite a bit. Either because like the community is very small, either because I'm not asking the right questions. Um, but it is definitely a learning process and I'm guessing we all have to go through it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, when it comes to your target audience, like how do you, how is it split? Like the, do you feel like when it comes to women, for example, like there'll be, um, um, a trend of women looking more to, to get financial freedom in web two and maybe web three as well. Um, I'm having a totally different perspective from web three, of course, but, um, I wanted to see kind of how things feel on your side. So Regarding our, our audience, as I mentioned, about 60% uh, male, 40% female, um, I'm finding that, and this is one thing we want to do, is when I started Ticker, we are, I noticed that a lot of stock-related platforms out there are very male-focused, like the marketing, the branding, even some logos out there are like a man in a suit and tie. 
and you're really you're limiting your your audience your reach you're not doing any favors and i'm finding that more women out there especially let's say they're married they want to take control of the finances it's it's not the night the 1950s anymore where the wife just you know cleans the house and will let you know the husband take care of the finances that's not a thing um, they want ownership of okay what's the spending look like what of our what does our debt look like um if they have kids, college savings, if that's a thing, um, but investments as well. So the branding, I actually brought in a, a branding consultant to kind of help with this. How do we create a logo and feel that is really, it's approachable for everybody, you know, not just men. So it's a strategic, it started with a strategic design and now the marketing we found is, Again, it comes back to one word, confidence. Like if we start talking about getting rich or building wealth or uh, passive income, financial independence, like a lot of that is more, it's kind of cringy, if you will. I mean, that we're, we're all driving towards a financial freedom retirement, but really on the front end, it's confidence. And that really, a lot of women uh, really found that resonates with them. Like they want the confidence to do this on their own and they can do it and really empower them. That has made a world of a difference. So it took about a year or two to really figure out what is the key word, you know, trials and errors and AB testing and all that kind of stuff. It's like, it's not, it's not building wealth or making 15 to 50% of the market. Like that's cute, but confidence is the, the key word. I actually love this uh, human approach, let's say, um, because I feel like everybody else is just selling you a dream, but like here it feels like it's a bit more tangible, let's say. Yeah, right, right. Um, how, one of the questions that we got from, from the audience was how will Tigger use AI to help their customers? Yes, very excited about this next feature coming out. So um, with investing, a lot of people out there They'll look at the numbers like and ticker sums it up to a score between zero and 100. The higher the score, the safer the investment. And that's nice. But as I learned from Warren Buffett and even Phil Town is investing is more than just numbers. You need to also look at the business. So we have a what's called the 4M tool in our business right now that will soon be controlled by AI. It's coming out here hopefully in the next month. So here's here's how it works. The four M's are this. You have the first M, which is the margin of safety, which is essentially all the math part of investing. And then you have the meaning, the moat, and the management. The meaning is the business model. How does the business make money? How many different revenue streams? The moat is how does the business stack up against the competition? And then the management is the track record of the CEO. So right now, you can use the four M, but it's manual. It can take you five, 10 minutes, but you really like, if you finish it, you get a score. And if you can get a score between 80 and hundred, it's like, this is a great stock to invest because it passes all four M's. If it's lower than that, it's, I think it's between 60 and 80. It's like maybe. And then if it's 59 or less, it's like run for the hills. <laughs> Don't move forward. So we're adding, this is amazing like this chat GPT or open AI will be used to power the 4M. So all the little steps, it really does all the heavy work for you. And what will also be cool is when you complete a 4M, the audience can see it. It'll be crowdsourced data. And as more 4Ms are completed, for example, one stock, let's say Apple, it averages 
the four M's that are completed. What it does is in the moat section, it compares against other businesses like other competitors. So if you do it, if I do it, if five other people do it, it really builds a stronger score altogether. So based on some feedback from the audience and kind of what we're seeing with other platforms, this could be a really cool viral feature uh, that AI is going to power for us. I mean, two, three years ago, it's like we did not have this. So we're pumped. No, this is true. Like, I think AI really changed the way we look at things in the last, like, I, I, don't, I wouldn't even call it a year. It, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's moving so quick. For sure. So I think like one of the, another question that you that the audience was like very curious about was regarding crypto. Should you add that to your portfolio? Well, as I, I talked about, we recommend 5% or less. I will say this for anybody's investing in crypto, they're kind of a lagging um, asset to the stock market. So what happens is when the stock market really takes off, which I know things are tough right now in the market. It's still a great time to buy because a lot of stocks are down. A reason is the um, in the U.S. you have uh, inflation is rising again. So in order to counteract that, you have to raise interest rates, which are they're an inverse relationship. So you have to raise those interest rates to drive down inflation. So anyway, now's. <sighs> I'm buying stocks, but um, with crypto, what you want to do is when the stock market really starts taking off like a rocket, what's going to follow after that is crypto. And that may be a good time. Um, this is not financial advice, of course, but um, if you do invest in the blue chip coins like Bitcoin or Ethereum or Litecoin, um, they will follow the trend and start taking off as well. And that might be a time to get in. And then, of course, if this is what I do with cryptos, write it up and then sell. Like, if you really made a good profit, don't say, well, it's going to go to a whole nother level. I would just take your profits and move, move them over to stocks. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you. Thank you for answering that. I think um, exciting times are, are ahead of us, let's say. Um, one of the last questions that I want to ask you, and um, I think uh, it's like one of, the, one of the nicest lessons to kind of wrap this um this uh, interview, let's say, um, you've built this great business. What are some lessons you've learned and you think can be replicated by anybody in Web3 as well? I'm thinking Web3 related. Um, I mean, they're all startups at the end of the day. So like, <laughs> don't put so much pressure on the Web3 thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I would, I'm going to drill into like a lesson learned and I learned this in the past is don't put the pressure on you creating a product or creating a business. It's really talking to the customer because you're really at the end of the day solving some problem or removing some pain. So the more you can talk to customers, the, the higher probability of finding success. Um, I had a really good podcast interview yesterday that'll go live probably in the next month. But the guy reiterated that he got from a, a mentor is you can't be sitting in your chair. We're all sitting in our chairs all day. And I know Zoom is a benefit, but um, try to get out there and talk to your customers or prospects and find out their pain um, and, and ask them those questions. If you can do that a few times a week and then compound that over weeks and months and a year, like you will learn a lot and have a laser focus on what service 
or what product you really should create. That is the biggest lesson learned I learned in business. In my earlier years, I tried to like come up with an idea, execute an idea, and nobody would come. Nobody would <laughs> would use the product. It's like because you're not bringing the customer into the equation. Um, I think uh, maybe that's why we, we spoke about community building as well, because Web3 really um, focuses yeah. on that. And um, it's really the, the reason why they're building a community is because it kind of it will drive the way the product is going to be uh, developed, let's say. So um, uh, I think that's one of, the, one of the things that I like about Web3 as well, that uh, we're kind of going back to basics. And like that's what I'm, I'm enjoying quite a lot. Um, sure. Something, one of the last questions that I, uh, or the last question I want to ask you, and this is something I'm asking everybody, um, what are some tools that you're using and you think anybody should be um, looking into, or what are some resources, books, platforms, whatever, that you can give examples as educational tools? Sure. Um, I'll create a real short list here with tools we use at Ticker. So um, number one, Zoom for meetings and getting customer feedback is great. That's one. Two would be uh, Slack, uh, internal communication. I'm actually the only person from our team in the States. We're headquartered in the States, but our team is all around the globe. So Slack is huge for that. Um, a data analytics tool that is free. If you are a tech startup founder that want like heat maps and data, it's called Heap, H-E-A-P. Um, that's a great tool. Um, you can see what people are using and clicking on and why. So that helps with uh, optimizing your product. Um, trying to think if there's any other platforms I really love and rely on. Oh, that's That's probably... That's probably it. Um, and then there's a second part to your question there. The resources, if you have any resources. Uh, books, yes. Um, yes, Mom Test, put that on your list. Another one I'm looking at here is Hooked. It's, a, it's kind of a yellow book um, that's on building good products. And then this is a big one for any SaaS founders out there, whether you're in mainly B2B, but B2C, it works too. It's called T2D3. Again, T2D3, it's great for SaaS. It teaches you that if you can um, double your revenue in three years, you you can be on track to tripling it, is essentially the concept. And it shows, it, I think there's like 75 case studies within it and what they do, what works, what doesn't work. Um, it's one of the best SaaS books I've ever read. I'll make sure to, to look into it as well. Hopefully they have it on Audible because I'm really big fan of Audible, <laughs> not really right. touching uh, physical books, but oh well. Um, well, Sean, thank you so much for, for this super interesting chat. I hope you enjoyed it as well. I'm looking forward to speaking to you again. Um, and before we wrap this up, can you tell um, everybody where can they find you? Two places. Go to ticker.com. That's T-Y-K-R.com. And then check out Payback Time. That's the podcast. Of course, I'll um, I'll leave the the links in the in the show notes. Thanks a lot again, and till soon. All right, thanks. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to our Out of Ordinary podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to hear more content like this, then open up the podcast app and click on the follow or subscribe button. It takes less than five seconds and is the single best thing you can do to support the show and stay up to date to more marketing strategies that are being used in the Web3 space.